3: Canada is the Rocky Mountains, Canada is Prince Edward Island. Canada is a country made for love. Canada is la belle province, Canada is the Yukon miner, Canada is a country full of love. We have love for our neighbour of whatever creed or come. We have love for our cities and our valleys and our plains. We have a voice that is calling, telling all the world we're willing to welcome them to this great land, for that's what Canada is. Canada is the Rocky Mountains, Canada is Prince Edward Island, Canada is...
2: And welcome back to The Exxon, everybody. My name is Rob McConnell, and we're coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. You may be asking yourself where Hamilton is. Well, it's in between the cities of Toronto and Niagara Falls, smack dab on the shores of beautiful Lake Erie. 1-800-610-7035 is worldwide toll-free. My email address is exxon at exxonradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, exxonradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www.exoneradiotv.com. My guest this hour is Dr. David Liepert, and um, the uh, we're going to be talking about the 411 on 911. And uh, Dr. Liepert is uh, author of Muslim, Christian, and Jew, Finding a Path to the Peace Our Faiths Can Share. He's been featured on CNN.com, CNN International, and the Huffington Post last month as the spokesman for the IMAM's Declaration, a document crafted to... Uh, document crafted and read by an entire country of Islam of IMAMs who joined together to denounce radical Islam. He's also the VP of Faith of Life Network, an internationally recognized Muslim organization dedicated to helping diverse communities live together. Joining me now from the beautiful province of, uh, of Alberta in Canada is Dr. David Liepert. Dr. Liepert, welcome to the x
4: Hi, Rob. Thanks for having me. And you can call me David.
2: All right, David. Um... Lifting the veil on Muslims in America with Pastor Terry Jones is once again threatening to burn the Koran. What is wrong with this man?
4: Well, you know, I think he was angry, and I think he enjoyed the publicity. The thing that you need to understand, I think a lot of people don't know, Muslims actually burn our own Korans. It's just, when when the darn things are are frayed and dog-eared to the extent that they're not readable anymore, yes. we, we consider it to be to be the Word of God. And and so uh, there are only three ways to dispose of it. You either bury it, um, you can throw it into a river, or you can remove the holy names and, and burn it. So it wasn't the burning, it was it was the hatred and, and the disrespect that, that he was intending to show that really got Muslims around the world upset with him.
2: So why is it that our, our Muslim friends get so upset when somebody else burns the Quran and yet you know, it seems that burning in the Bible means nothing to a Christian.
4: You know, uh, it's to a certain extent, it's the way we view the different symbols, because Muslims don't really view the Quran in the same way that Christians view the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, we really look upon it as literally the Word of God in, in the same way that, that Christians view Jesus, peace be upon him, as the Word of God. So to a Muslim, it would be more like someone was actually trying to burn Jesus, or, or at least Jesus in effigy. Uh, and, and that's why people get so upset about it. We would never do something like that. You know, with with all of the horrible things that, that misguided Muslims around the world have done, um, they've never ever burned a Bible. Um, and we certainly wouldn't burn anything else that was a significant religious symbol uh, unless uh, we were totally leaving the religion behind. And I think that was the other trouble with this guy. He actually claimed that he was following the Christian religion, as he understood it, and we know that's not true because because Muslims know the Bible as, as well as anybody. Where it's it's one of the books that we consider to be uh, in basis uh, a revelation from God, and we know Luke says that even if you think someone mm-hmm. is your enemy, you're supposed to treat them well.
2: David, please stand by. You and I have to take our first two-minute commercial break. Exonation. Doctor David Leppard is our special guest. www.muslimchristian ANDJEW.com. That's Muslim, Christian, and Jew.com is the website. And we'll be back on the other side of this commercial break in two minutes as the Exxon continues from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. So, Nation, Dr. David Liepert is our special guest, www.muslimchristianandjew.com. David, as a white North American Muslim leader, can you tell us why there seems to be such a great divide between uh, certain parts of society when it comes to the Christian, Jew, Muslim,
4: uh,
2: what what can we call it, uh, religious differences?
4: You know, that's basically what the whole book is about uh, because we have about a thousand years of history and politics, Mm -hmm. and I go through the history uh, that that Christianity has gone through, I go through the history that Islam has gone through, and I go through the history that Judaism has gone through as well um, to, to take them away from this incredible shared message of peace that they all have. Like, honestly, all three religions have the same message written in a different language to different cultures, and so there, there are some differences thrown mm-hmm. into it. But basically, the, the concept that we are expected to love and fear God and, and love our neighbors and, and basically treat them as God's creation is, is something that you can find in every single religion. And when you go back to the roots of the religion, when you go back to the way, and, and the most recent one, for instance, is Muhammad, peace be upon him. When he and his people took over the Middle East, mm-hmm. they honestly created a society that's almost identical to Canada and America as we have it now. They had religious freedom. They had justice for all, regardless of race, creed, or gender. They, they even had gender equity. Like one of the things that often doesn't get talked about in Islam is the fact that Muhammad actually made a woman, an imam, while he was still alive. Her name was Umwaraka. And, and that's something that didn't happen again in any religion for, for, thousand, for, for over a thousand years, uh, but it was the example that he set. And likewise, um, when Christians came to visit him in Medina... Mm-hmm. to to discuss and argue and and debate religious differences. He, he, uh, he invited them to use his own mosque for their Christian religious ceremonies, not because he agreed with them, but because he honored their intent to worship God in the best fashion they knew how, and there's still a monastery sitting underneath Mount Sinai. Well, not underneath, it's at the foot of Mount Sinai, called the Monastery of St. Catherine, and they have remained there ever since Muhammad's time again peace be upon him because they have a document in which he promises religious freedom and Muslim protection and this is the important part religious freedom and Muslim protection for all who adopt Christianity both near and far and then he makes that promise binding on Muslims until the end of time and that's the way Muslims are supposed to treat people but Christians know that according to the example of Jesus, that's the way Christians are supposed to treat people. And, and Jews know that according to the example of Abraham and the commands of Moses and, and Ezekiel, yeah. uh, that's the way they're supposed to treat people of other religions as well. And, and it's, it's history and politics that have led us to ignore those examples and ignore the bits of the books that we don't like, Um, and and follow the bits that actually help us uh, not get along. And and that's the other thing that my book is about. I go through all of the stuff that led us away, but then I go through the stuff that can bring us together again as well.
2: Why is it so hard for the different religious sects to just recognize each other, to better understand each other, and to respect each other's you know, beliefs. Wouldn't that solve the problem, sir?
4: Oh, it would sound the problem, or solve the problem in a profound way. But, for instance, I've been, I've been uh, uh, invited on to Christian talk shows, mm-hmm. um, and I've had incredibly uplifting and wonderful conversations with Christians who know their religion, the guys who come onto the talk shows, that have then been followed by incredible hate-filled diatribes from people who've watched the show and don't understand their religion and think that we're not supposed to get along. And and I I get the same thing. I had a a debate-slash-argument with a young Muslim boy about two weeks ago who really, really wanted to believe that he had to tell people that if they didn't follow Islam, they were going to hell. And and I quoted him chapter and verse and example and all of the times. Like Islam is one of the one of the religions that's most specific about the fact that uh, that um, God is the one who chooses, uh, who is going to make it. Uh, the that the Jews and Christians and all those who who God loves, who who uh, fear God and and look forward to the Judgment Day, uh, we're all going to be okay. Um, and and so it's easy to teach that to people, but until they've learned it, um, it's so people really like to get into this idea that they have a special deal. And it's the special deal that gets us all into trouble with each other.
2: Where, what role do you see the media playing in all this um, hype? You know, I, you know, being a part of the media, it's no secret that if it don't bleed, it don't lead. But the way that I look at things is that there are times when it's the media that pours the gasoline onto the dying ember that just explodes again.
4: You know, it, it, it happens sometimes. There's no question. I've, I've spoken to a lot of people in the media um, about the the Terry Jones issue. Yes. And, and a lot of them are kicking themselves that they gave this guy any publicity yep. whatsoever. Um and it's true if something bleeds it leads and, and conflict sells papers and things of that sort and that that does play a role but i've also for instance uh, there was a gentleman uh, <clears throat> Excuse me. There was a gentleman in Calgary mm-hmm. who was going to do a press conference in which he accused me and uh, and Calgary's 80,000 Muslims. I, I'm actually official spokesperson for for 80,000 Muslims in and around Calgary, and and he wanted to get up in front of the cameras and and say that we're all a bunch of uh, evil Wahhabians, and and the the people from CBC called me up ahead of time and said, hey, um, would you like to comment about this ahead of time? because we don't want to put this guy in front of the cameras without giving you an opportunity to tell the truth about yourselves. And so I said, you know, the last time we got money from Saudi Arabia, it was in 1970, and it was a personal gift from old King Faisal of $50,000. And that's the last money that's come to Calgary from Saudi Arabia. And, and that story got out there ahead of the accusations because of good media. So I, I think media doesn't deserve blame as much as they deserve credit, and and just the realization that people sometimes make mistakes.
2: What about the uh, the controversy that's that's heating up in New York City pertaining to the mosque being built only two blocks away from Ground Zero?
4: Oh, good heavens! It just that is such a big one. Um, the, the, I was speaking to the chair of the Canadian Council of Imams about that last night. And and he pointed out to me that because of Imam Ralph's intentions, there have been 25 mosques vandalized or or burned or even pipe-bombed in the States. And and in fact, although we honor Imam Ralph's intentions, Mm -hmm. um, the the, the, the path that he's taking, for instance, he went on the air last night, uh, or night before last, and said that it was disingenuous to say that that's hallowed ground. But the fact of the matter is that's like starting a conversation with someone of the Hindu faith uh, while eating a McDonald's hamburger. Yes. It's just people hallow what they choose to hallow. And if we don't start treating things that we hallow with respect, then this isn't going to go anywhere.
2: I watched his interview with Soledad O'Brien on CNN the other day, and um, he, he said that if he would have known that the location for this mosque would have caused such a controversy that he wouldn't have put Cordoba Project or the Cordoba House where he did. And then when Soledad O'Brien said, well, why don't you just move it? He said, we can't, because now if we do that, it would be be detrimental to the national security of the United States.
4: I I thought that that was perhaps not the best way to, to say things either, because, you know, what I would say is, he doesn't have to hurry. Yeah. Like, that mosque, if it is a symbol of Muslims' rejection of al-Qaeda, and I'll tell you, and I go into this in, in, in my book as well, al-Qaeda are actually described in Muslim prophecy as demons, calling the faithful to the gates of hell, and it gives a physical description of them. So it's just... Muslims around the world are rejecting Al-Qaeda, have rejected Al-Qaeda, and will continue to reject Al-Qaeda, and until that has gotten to the point that non-Muslims get it and realize that Park 51 or Cordoba Initiative or whatever you want to call it Mm -hmm. is a symbol of Islam's rejection of Al-Qaeda and an acceptance of the example of Muhammad, peace be upon him, and his multi-faith path, path to peace, until people get that, then it shouldn't be built. Because well, it's supposed to be a symbol for everyone.
2: Then why is it looked upon as Islam's prize, or Islam's trophy for the events of
4: 9-11? You know, and this is, this is something that I think the media does deserve some blame for. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people think that Muslims support al-Qaeda, and that it wasn't just 19 criminals who deserve, like, according to Islam, they deserve the death penalty twice over for killing innocent people, and for spreading mischief across the face of the Mm -hmm. earth. And they've been condemned by Muslims from one side of the planet to the other, including me, um, since that time. But the the linkage between al-Qaeda and Islam that they have actually tried to forge... Uh, is something that, that was supported by the media with those pictures of that foolish woman in Lebanon doing her dance. Uh, and, and she has, she has wept on, on Al Jazeera TV about how stupid she was. But unfortunately, those things don't necessarily get out there as, as uh, well as they should.
2: David, please stand by, sir. You and I have to take our commercial break with the news at the bottom of the hour. Explanation, Dr. David Leapert is our very special guest this hour. He now represents 80,000 Muslims in North America. He's author of Muslim, Christian, and Jew, Finding a Path to Peace Our Faiths Can Share. His website is www.muslimchristianandjew, and that's a-n-d-jew.com. It's nice to see that in these times that people are willing to communicate and we need to hear all the sides of the story. After all, there are three three sides to every story. His side, her side, and the truth. Don't go away.
5: We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price.
3: Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like Family.
2: on MSN Messenger, Xone Radio TV at hotmail.com and our website tv.com.
3: Why do I feel like I'm losing control? Seems like yesterday it was long ago. Jane, it was lovely. She was a queen of my night. There in the darkness with the radio playing low end. And the secrets that we shared. The mountains that we moved. Caught like a wildfire out of control. Till there was nothing left to burn and nothing left to prove. Oh.
2: 1-800-610-7035 is toll-free worldwide. Email exxon at TV.com On MSN Messenger, TV at hotmail.com. And our website, TV.com. My guest this hour is Dr. David Liepert. We're talking about his uh, book that is entitled um, Muslim, Christian, and a Jew. Finding a Path to Peace Our Faiths Can Share. His website is www.muslimchristianandjew.com. And what we're doing starting in the September issue of the X Chronicles, we are going to be featuring each and every week, every month, I should say, religions of the world. And we're starting off with Islam, this uh, September edition. Uh, some of the articles will include origins, developments, and divisions. We're also going to be talking about um, the basic beliefs, foundations of faith, so that we can be part of the solution instead of part of the problem. Because, as I've said many times, ExoNation, we need to better understand each other. We need to respect each other. We need to, you know what? I was very fortunate when I was growing up, David. I grew up in the multicultural area of Montreal called Park Extension. Mm -hmm. There were Jewish people. There were Italian people. There were people uh, from every country, Ireland, Greece. We all grew up together. We all went to the same schools together. And what happened was we better understood each other's religion, holidays, Traditions, uh, you know. Every every week, I remember in grade three, her name was Miss Bloomfield. She would have each of the different cultures bring lunch to school. For example, one Friday it would be the uh, the uh, the the lunches or the foods of Ireland. The following Friday it would be. The, you know, the, the Hebrew, the following week, the Italian, the following week, the Greeks, uh, we played together, we grew up together, we learned how to respect each other, we went to each other's church, we went to each other's synagogue. So why can't we do the same thing now, sir?
4: You know, and that was the Muslim ideal when they first started, too. Like The the constitution of Medina that was actually uh, dictated by by Muhammad when he first uh, uh, was invited by the Arab and Jewish tribes uh, in Medina, um, created a society in which each group had equivalent rights and equivalent responsibilities, and, and... required that they come to each other's defense. And and sometimes people focus on the, there was a conflict with three of the Jewish tribes, mm-hmm. but the other nine Jewish tribes there was no conflict and they lived together in peace. And, and likewise when, when Muslims, in, in quotation marks, took over Jerusalem, uh, the Khalif Umar actually walked up to the gates, and the Christian patriarch met him at the gates and said, we will let you guys take over but we want religious freedom and equality and and basically we want the canadian charter of rights and freedoms in the american bill of rights and omar told him yes that's completely acceptable as long as you extend those same rights and freedoms to the jewish families that you've expelled from jerusalem and so they actually took over jerusalem to give it back to the jewish people and and created this incredible society um, that that It's 100% compatible with Canada and the U.S. as we stand right now. The Canadian uh, Council of Imams, their declaration basically declares that Islam promotes religious pluralism, Mm -hmm. gender equity, and the individual right of each person to choose how they will live, dress, act, and believe. And and they did that purposefully because there are about 5% of Muslims that are described as the cheering section for jihad, they're not actually violent themselves, but that 5% do have extremist beliefs, and it's our intention to basically starve the extremists by taking that 5% and calling them back to the example of Muhammad and his first followers, peace be upon them. How are you going to do that, sir? Well, basically by, by teaching it in all of our mosques and repeating it to all and sundry and living it in our lives and, and trusting God to to basically do the same thing with all other people because it's like I told you this is the same message that you get from, from Christianity and the same message that you get from Judaism and if you happen to read the Bhagavad Gita it's the same message that like this is a conversation between Prince Arjuna And and Krishna, uh, who was, in Arjuna's uh, perspective, the creator of the universe. And the entire book is about the struggle for a person to understand the distinction between what you can do and what you should do. Like, that's the struggle of all humankind. And and that's the struggle that all of our religions are supposed to lead us in uh, while treating everything else that God made with respect.
2: So where does the misconception come from, uh, David, that that the Muslims and the Muslim community is is hell bent on taking over the world?
4: Well, you know, it comes from Muslims who who have that. World domination perspective, and it comes from non-Muslims who are afraid of that that perspective. For instance, I'll give you an example. There's a uh, I've given you examples of of the way things should be, and this is an example of the way things are, and and what we're working to fix. There's a verse in the Quran that says, "Fight the people of the book until they know themselves to be subdued," and it it goes on a little bit more than that, but but basically it sets a condition for something called the 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 jizya, the compensation, as as the sign of that. And if you read that verse, it sounds like I'm supposed to fight with Jews and Christians. But if you understand the context of the verse, and you understand what we call the sunnah of the verse, because the sunnah is what the verse did in the life of Muhammad, peace be upon him, and his companions, it basically gives the historical context. They had heard rumors of an army of 250,000 people who outnumbered them 10 to 1, because there were only 25,000 Muslims alive at the time. They heard rumors of this army massing in the north that was going to come down and exterminate them. And so they actually marched out of Medina expecting a fight to the death. They expected to have to have to kill everyone uh, or be killed themselves. And they got this really strange verse telling them, okay, fight these people only until they know themselves to be subdued mm-hmm. and, and pay the compensation. And it probably didn't make any sense to them until they actually went out and met these people and discovered that they didn't want to fight, that they actually just wanted to live in peace. And so the Muslims uh, created their government around that verse. The one thing that they required was they exempted non-Muslims from military service. Uh, you weren't expected to fight for the sake of the state unless you chose to and if you chose not to fight for the sake of the state you were expected to pay something called the jizya, the compensation and when it first started you could get out of it by paying or sorry you could get out of it by being willing to fight to uh, defend the state you could get out of it by just being poor no. or uh, you could... you could, uh, no, th- those were the two um, what happened was about 400 years later, Muslims started tweaking that verse. And they started making the jizya a penalty rather than a compensation. And they started treating non-Muslims less well than they treated Muslims. Like, one of the most interesting things about the early history of Islam is how many people converted to Islam thinking that they'd be uh, treated better who then chose to convert back because they discovered that Muslims didn't treat non-Muslims better. Um, it happened in the Middle East, and, and when it happened, you know, instead of instead of uh, people who claim now that Muslims have to kill people who leave Islam, mm-hmm. but when it happened in the Middle East, when when there wasn't warfare going on, all that happened was the Jizya tax was reimposed and everybody lived together in peace. In Spain, the Muslims who converted from Christianity who didn't like the way things were, they actually revolted against the Spanish Muslims because they wanted to be treated better having converted to Islam. And so we we have this incredible history of peace and justice, but we also have this history of people tweaking things to try to make them better for themselves. And that's the problem.
2: If you don't mind me asking you, why did you convert to uh, to Islam?
4: You know, my number one thing has always been scriptural integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was raised a Lutheran, and and I just... I, I really liked Lutheranism, but I didn't like the fact that they didn't take the Bible as seriously as the Baptists. And so I actually became a Baptist um, because I thought that they took the Bible more seriously. And the interesting thing is I became Muslim because I discovered that Muslims actually take the Bible and its actual message even more seriously than, than uh, Christians do today. Like the, the stuff that actually makes Islam separate from, from Christianity are, are just basically the understanding of, of the Trinity, um, and when you look at what the bible actually says about the holy spirit uh... the bible is pretty clear that the holy spirit is god's first creation and likewise if you say what the bible actually says about the son again the old testament is very clear that the son will be capable of error and will be punished by god and, and so on those things i found the bible came down on the side of the muslims and, and the last thing that i think is important to know is that muslims are looking forward to the second coming even more than, than christians are uh, we look upon Jesus, peace be upon him, as the next righteous ruler of Islam. When he comes back, he's going to stop all of these battles about who he is, and he'll just lead us in service to God and, and basically bring about the peace that we're all looking for.
2: What is the hardest part about being a Muslim in today's society?
4: Yeah, a lot of it is just, you know, for me it's easy, because as you said, I'm, I'm a white Muslim. Mm-hmm. I, I know uh, a lot of uh, uh, Muslim ladies, for instance, who wear the hijab, they're, they're treated um, as someone who doesn't share the values of, of the people uh, around them. There, there, was a, uh, there was a poll came out, uh, I think it was a Leger marketing poll just uh, just last week that showed that now 55% of Canadians don't think Muslims share their values. And, and that's a real problem for visible Muslims. Um, there are we have some uh, brothers in Brooks who uh, they um, they really feel that that they aren't treated as well by the place that they work at because they try to keep their prayer schedule, uh, and and that's something that, that we have to work with them a lot. Um, and then lastly, there's just there's this sense that that people don't think that Muslims like them because, again, of, of individuals like uh, Osama bin Laden, who is truly a hate-filled, demon-possessed uh, fool if he's still alive. I read his obituary four years ago when I was in Saudi Arabia. Uh, but it's just people think that we agree with individuals like that when really we are God's humble servants. And, and we, the vast majority of Muslims I just want to raise our children and treat God's creation with respect.
2: Let me ask you a point-blank question, David. Does the rest of society have anything to fear from the members of the Muslim community?
4: None whatsoever. You know, I I think it's interesting. Since uh, 2005, there have been 13 bombings in Canada, but none of them have been done by Muslims. They've actually been done by environmentalists Hmm. uh, who are attacking the oil and gas industry. In Canada, we've actually had uh, two groups of people who have been arrested before they could do anything with the assistance of the Muslim, uh, Muslim community in Canada. We had one individual in Calgary who uh, got into his head to go off and fight with the Taliban in Afghanistan, and one of our Imams called up CSIS and had him picked up before he got off the airplane. Yeah, I agree. And, that and that's, case. that's the Muslim community in Canada. Is there a big
2: difference between the way the members of the Muslim community are treated in Canada and in the United States?
4: Yes. Um, I've I've been on the phone and on the radio a lot with Muslim groups in the States, and certainly things are are a lot uh, more polarized there. There's a lot more fear, there's a lot more misunderstanding, and there's a lot more acting out. In Canada, even though we're in a situation right now where uh, there's even a majority of Canadians who think Muslims don't share their values, um, we're still treated as fellow Canadians and I think as long as people like you and I are having these sorts of conversations, um, nothing is going to go too far in Canada before we can start taking the tide back. I'm I'm kind of hoping that it's gotten as bad as it's going to get. Uh, I know in in the States they're talking 30% of people actually think that Muslims should have to wear some sort of an outward symbol like uh, like like the like they started making Jews wear the Star of David oh, give in, in Germany. Give me and a And it's just, I don't want it to go there. No, neither do I.
2: David, nice talking to you. Please stand by. ExoNation David Liepert is our special guest, www.muslimchristianandjew.com. He's the author of Muslim, Christian, and Jew, Finding a Path to Peace Our Faiths Can Share. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as the x continues from our studios in beautiful Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. ExoNation, welcome back. Uh, Dr. David Liepert is our very special guest of this hour. He's the author of Muslims, Christian, and Jew, Finding a Path to Peace Our Faiths Can Share. His website is www.muslimchristianandjew.com. First of all, David, thank you very much for joining us. A great pleasure talking to you. Um, Two things I wanted to to ask you about. We've got about uh, four minutes. Number one, the pastor that opened up his church to the Muslim community in the States, mm-hmm. he, he, he gets five stars, five out of five stars as far as I'm concerned.
4: Oh, heavens, yes. And you know, we've had a lot of pastors uh, in—there's uh, uh, there's, uh, a United Church in Calgary that has done the same thing. And I serve on uh, an interfaith uh, uh, committee slash community in Calgary with, with all of the uh, uh, ministers and, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, in, in, in Calgary. And there's so much, it's like I was telling you, the people who actually know their religions get along with everybody from everybody else's religion yeah. too.
2: You see, it just goes back to what I was saying before, that we need to better understand and respect each other's uh, beliefs, each other's uh, holidays, each other's philosophy and religion, and we'll all get along much better. Yep. Number, my final uh, question to you is uh, I understand that there was also something in the news recently about stoning women.
4: Oh, yes, the, the disgusting behavior of, of Iran. Yeah. Basically, Muhammad, peace be upon him, stamped out stoning while he was alive. He actually made it impossible uh, for, for adulterers to be stoned by requiring that, uh, that there be four witnesses to the actual act. And people complained about it at the time. Uh, and, and the next thing that he did was he actually made the punishment for accusing a woman of adultery without those four witnesses almost as bad as the punishment itself. Um, and it just—he he actually, there was a verse that that had been revealed uh, that. that Promoted stoning, that he actually didn't let people write down and include in the Quran because he considered it to have been superseded by a later revelation that 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 made those requirements clear, and and it just that lasted while he was alive, and then a few generations later, people started bringing it back, and Iran actually doubled the punishment uh, mm-hmm. to make matters even worse. But when you take Islam back to the way it was in the beginning, and when you follow Muhammad's example, uh, there is absolutely no place for stoning or any other uh, abusive punishments and treatments. In the first thousand years of Islam, there were only 14 people stoned, even though they brought it back against his wishes. Just like in the first 400 years of Islam, uh, I think uh, I read someplace that there were only six people who had their hands cut off for, for thievery. Well, and if... then it got tweaked to make things worse.
2: If my memory serves me correct, in the Bible, it also uh, there was an instance where someone was going to get stoned. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how come there's not, not a big uproar about that?
4: Well, and you know, what Jesus did was he also made it impossible for the punishment Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he didn't change the stoning punishment himself, but he said, let he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. That's right. And, and that was his example. And, and Muhammad, peace be upon him, saying that the punishment for the accusation is almost as bad as the crime, and you need to have four witnesses to the actual sex act to, to make it stick. Um, he basically was in that line himself. That, that, yes, you know what, adultery is an awful, disgusting, evil thing with, with profound impacts, and and God hates it. But God hates stoning more. and And that was the final message that we get from all of these wonderful paragons, if we just listen to them.
2: David, you and I have run out of time for tonight, but as I told you during the break, we're going to have you back on in the future. I want to thank you so much for joining us, David. It's been a great pleasure talking to you. So until the next time we meet, David, take care of yourself, and... Have a wonderful day and continued success with the great work you're doing.
4: Thank you so much, and thanks for the opportunity to talk to your audience. God's peace, all.
2: Take care, David. Well, that's it for tonight. We'll be back tomorrow night at 10 o'clock. So until tomorrow night, when once again we meet here in the X Zone, always keep your eyes to the sky and your heart to the light. Good night, everyone.
5: We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in.